You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and so excited to be back here with Christy Morris as we are doing a prequel to the sequel to something else. I I've lost track. <laughs> Don't you remember, Matt, when uh, you know I was born and raised in Ohio, and then eventually my sister and I were taken off to Russia? Is that what happened? Yeah. I didn't know that. You know, I you know I saw you and your sister hanging out on Instagram, and I didn't see any mention of Russia. <laughs> so that's so strange. Well, I mean, you know, when you're undercover, you can't bring it up. But oh, right, duh, duh. So, yeah, yeah. well, I am excited uh, that we're going to be talking about a brand new uh, movie this week. We saw it in the theaters. We went and saw Black Widow. It's fun to be back in the theaters and. It was the first Marvel movie in, I think, a year and a half now, uh, maybe two years. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, really excited to be here. And, of course, before we dive into everything, a quick couple of notices. One, uh, if you like what we do here, please do catch up with us over on Twitter. Uh, That would be great. We would really love it if you would check out uh, us on Twitter at the 602 Club. Of course, we're on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. Uh, And wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe. You know, hit the subscribe button. Uh, That way you'll get the show as soon as it drops. As well as we really appreciate uh, if if you are an Apple podcast, please give us a star rating review. Definitely helps people find the show still. So we'd really appreciate that. And of course... Two, uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Uh, of course, we've got the listeners of the discussion group, the Babel Conference you can join, trek.fm. And then, of course, you can also check out uh, the website where you can go to the contact section and you could send us an email. Uh, we would love to get an email from you. So, of course, uh, that is a great place to go. So, Chrissy, it's been, like I said, it's been a while. Uh, since we have watched a Marvel movie in the theater. And this one, we are finally giving Black Widow her own movie. And so I just wondered for you, uh, you know, as we are looking to get into uh, this, and, and we were coming towards the movie. Obviously, it was supposed to come out last year. and Everything got pushed back like everything else did. Was this a Marvel movie that you were looking forward to. Uh, yeah, back in 2010. <laughs> uh, you know, it, the thing is, the biggest thing that kind of hurt it for me was that I think when they first introduced Black Widow and Iron Man mm-hmm. 2 in 2010, immediately following that, I think would have been the best possible time mm-hmm. for this movie. And that's something that I've heard a lot of people say is that just that it feels like mm-hmm. at this point it's long overdue. Mm. 
that was at the peak of her fascination and culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm glad that we're finally getting it. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I think it's interesting because that's something I had at the end of the outline. But I think to kind of jump to Sorry. that right now <laughs> is is a phenomenal thing to do because I do think it's kind of like the elephant in the room, right? When it comes to this yeah. film. Um, especially since, you know, you, you mentioned like right after maybe Iron Man 2, but I think the way this movie is structured, the fact that it takes place right after Civil War, I don't really understand why this movie didn't come out then. And even reading behind the scenes, um, they, even Johansson didn't feel like there was any pressing urgency to make the film. Uh, and at this point. No, 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 no. Just in general. Like, they, she wasn't uh, feeling this, that nobody was feeling this urgency, um, it seemed mm. like. And so I, I think any urgency that was felt was more, it seems to be, with the fan base wanting to see this type of story. And, you know, she mentioned that she felt like, you know, this allows this film to be more of a reality and more about real stuff. Maybe because it's not kind of within the continuity in the sense of like, you know, we're not building towards the next thing. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, we're just we're just hitting the ground running tonight. I I, want to ask you then. Is the problem with this movie just existing as it does now instead of coming out after Civil War that Marvel has set us up to be a part of a series, be a part of a formula. You know, it is basically, they have set this up like a comic book series. You read issue one, issue two, issue three, issue four, right? Mm-hmm. And well, there isn't a lot of need for flashbacks or, you know, going back and telling another part of the story. And so we, part of the the Marvel milieu is the fact that Every film builds on top of the next and gets us ready for what's coming up next. And by having Black Widow basically out of sequence by a long shot and the character already having died, do you feel like that's something that is a a major deficit for this movie to have to try and overcome then? I mean, I think that it's a, a yes and a no depending on how you were looking forward to this movie. I think that it could have fit like you were saying in the timeline where they've put it. Um, But then also, like I was saying, I feel like it could have been a completely different movie in a lot of ways and still been good if it came out right after Iron Man two, when they first Mm -hmm. introduced her in the cinematic universe. And I say that because it felt like every character that was major in the series got their own standalone movie. I mean, except for, you know, like Hawkeye, but um, she didn't. And for her being such a big part of the team, it felt like a long time for me that I was like, okay, when's she going to get her day in the sun? And they give you so much um, lead up to, she's got red in her ledger and she and Clint have this you know, past where they kind of get Mm -hmm. each other and stuff, but never explain fully Mm -hmm. and then just leave you hanging. Right. That, you know, I I wanted to know that story. I wanted to know 
what the red in her ledger was, how she ended up becoming the better person that she is now, um, you know, and overcoming that evil in her past mm-hmm. um, and what her motivations really are. Right. So I just, I don't know. It, it could go both ways. Mm-hmm. I think that you bring up some really good points that one of the biggest places and issues with this is that they did it sequence wise they had created all these questions about black widow as a character and i i would say that i do think probably the biggest issue and or problem with the film is that because it's out of sequence one we obviously don't have to worry about scarlett johansson you know we don't have to worry about black widow dying you know natasha's not gonna die we already know she's dead Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like any of the Marvel movies are really going to kill the characters, right? You know, that's that, that hasn't happened until, you know, we finally got to Endgame and, and people, you know, they they died. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I do think it just kind of hurts the movie because it, it doesn't feel as important anymore to know right. the answers to these questions because the character is already dead. And, yeah. you know... So I think it does almost feel like this is too late to be telling this story. And it doesn't feel like a great way to be starting off phase four with a movie and a character who are already dead. And you're kind of like using this to introduce a character, but then it makes me question, okay, like, but where was she then during like, like, where was her sister during the end game? stuff you know mm-hmm. like that all seems really strange that that she wouldn't be around you know at all um and so i i think i do i, I mean I, th- I think it's really interesting that you brought that up right away because i do feel like it's the ledger in the room like it's just sitting there <laughs> it's dripping with blood and it's really hard not to pay attention to because i think it it does kind of shroud the whole movie and the uh, and i would i would say the marvel formula itself is the thing to which makes this movie not work very well or as Mm -hmm. well as it could have in sequence because we're conditioned as marvel fans to care about what's happening in the movie because it's going to inform what's coming next Mm -hmm. this one you know really what it informs is this character who is apparently going to be important in the future, you know, Yelena, as most likely the new Black Widow, since Natasha's gone. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel as exciting as it would have if this had taken place, say, right after Civil War when this movie, quote unquote, takes place in canon. And mm-hmm. watching it then, I think it would have been more exciting. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, to your point, too, kind of a bummer of a way to introduce Yelena, um, because then you have to explain. I feel like you have to explain where she was in the midst of all of the other action that would make sense in her timeline. Um, and then it it's kind of sad of a way to introduce the Hawkeye show, I think of immediately 
it's not about him as much as someone getting vengeance on him for killing her sister in her mind. I mean, you know, we know what really happened, but yeah, I, that part also kind of made me feel like it's a disservice to Hawkeye. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that does get into a lot of interesting things. We'll kind of let, we'll, let's save that part to talk about. Yeah. When we, when we actually talk about the stinger and kind of what that means for what's coming. But yeah. no, I, I think you're right on target. I, I think that's that's <laughs> kind of what, um, for me, as somebody, you know, look, I, I've enjoyed the Marvel series. I think, you know, there's some, been some incredible entries. There's some great entries and there's been some eh, entries. But mm-hmm. overall, part of that was that it was building this kind of cohesive story in a way that really, you know, hasn't ever been done in Hollywood movies before, right? You know, the longest running yeah. franchise series that I can think of um, beyond this is like James Bond, you know, and we both talked about those films here. And, you know, look, they've only been tangentially connected together. Uh, and, you know, it's only the Craig movies that have really taken it upon themselves to really be connected. You know, the rest of them, they might be hints or, or winks to previous films, but they were mostly standalone adventures, you know, so yeah. this is the first time this has been done. So I, I would say this is, in my opinion, this was the first major misstep that Marvel has made when it came to sequencing for sure. And just making me wonder as to how did nobody think of doing this earlier or or really make this a priority earlier. And can I just be mm-hmm. honest, too? I think it's kind of yeah. sad that this was not a priority. You know, uh, yeah. all, uh, and, and look, I'm not a raging feminist, I'm, you know, but I'm just saying, I think that to not give a female character her own movie because it doesn't seem to really be a priority for you, I think you maybe your priorities are out of whack. You know, like, why isn't mm-hmm. Natasha, she's an important character in the Avengers, why isn't she more important to your story especially since this is really a good bridge story and would have been a good bridge story between captain america uh you know civil war and what was coming next with you mm-hmm. know the infinity war and end game and all those things so i yeah i i don't know do you do you agree with that does that is that something that strikes you as being like oh i, I guess what were they thinking Oh, definitely. I mean, and that's the thing, too, is like nothing against Captain Marvel, but I I did have some surprise that that even came out before this, when this had been apparently discussed long before Mm -hmm. Captain Marvel came out. So it, it, yeah, I feel like you also shouldn't be bringing in a completely new character when you've had this one that just needed some more justice for it. Right. But yeah, so we're on the same page with that. I think that they it should have come out sooner. Yeah. I mean, and it, it is kind of interesting that, and I do feel like somewhat sad that a character to which we didn't know Captain Marvel gets to be the first female character to have their own movie in the Marvel series. When you've already had one who is very much a part of the Avengers and a story who already, we've asked a lot of questions about that, doesn't get her own story until yeah. now when she's already dead. Yep. 
So, yeah, that's that is very strange. So, well, as you mentioned, this movie, you know, you're kidding at the beginning, but we start in 1995 where Natasha and Elena are being raised by these parents. Uh, of course, the movie doesn't let us know till later on. I think the even I don't know if the the trailers kind of give us away that they're not really family, but they're not really family. They're basically mm-hmm. it it's the series The Americans uh, with Carrie Russell. I don't know that. But so okay. Carrie Russell is in this <laughs> show uh, where her and her husband are KGB agents who have been planted in America. Their plant is that they are a suburban family. So basically, oh, okay. it's that. Um, this is exactly what they're doing and their whole goal and their mission is to seal these, these secrets. Um, and how do you feel like, I mean, because the, the beginning of the movie is that, that story. Um, and it's Mm -hmm. a good, I would say 20 minutes for that backstory or or maybe a little bit less, but it's a pretty good chunk of the film where we, you know, begin with them as characters and, you know, what's going on. Um, and, kind of how they get to the point where Natasha and Elena are going to end up as and in the Black Widow program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I felt like this was a really strong way to start the movie. I mean, you and I have said before on this show that we both feel like the best way a lot of times to start a movie is just throw me into the story without being fully aware of what's mm-hmm. going on. Show me. And then explain later sure. and I'll pick it up without you having to give me everything, you know, typed out on the screen of what happened when. Um, and I thought that they did a really great job of making you feel that this is a real family until it's revealed to you that it's not. You know, uh, it, they seem to show a very strong motherly relationship between the girls as little girls and the mother. Um and then definitely, I think that the strongest scene of that, to me, um, before they get to the girls actually being in the Black Widow program, is David Harbour and uh, Rachel Weiss behind the mm-hmm. wall with him saying, we have maybe an hour. It right. seemed like, even though, yes, like that situation in general feels very dire, it does seem that the two of them have more than a work relationship. Yeah, no, I think that's that's true. Um, you know, I, I think they do. This is definitely, I would say, probably this might be the strongest part of the movie because it really does kind of come off as this great kind of almost gritty spy thriller, mm-hmm. which I liked that they were tacking, tapping back into that feeling that we kind of gotten in, in Captain America: Winter Soldier, which is my favorite Marvel movie still. Uh, and I, I wish, and I think this beginning kind of gives you that sense almost that we're going to be this very gritty spy drama, you know, espionage mm-hmm. type thriller. And that was exciting, you know, to me. And I thought that this backstory and the setup of it was really strong and well shot and kind of kind of uh, affecting, you know, with the character for Natasha and kind of seeing what she's been through. And, you know, that moment where her and Yelena are whisked away uh, is terrifying and terrible, especially since you're kind of seeing it through their eyes. Because everything they mm-hmm. know has turned out to be a lie. 
you know, like I think it might be the biggest, like can, can, as a kid, this is the, this would be your biggest nightmare, right? That like, yeah, what if I, your family is not really exactly. your family. What if I woke up? My family is not really real. Like my family is not even really mm-hmm. real. That's, that's terrifying. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then you're taken to this camp with mm-hmm. all these other kids. Um, and I, I like the way that they shot that as well. Um, because they're trying to make you feel the fear that a child right. would feel in that situation. Absolutely. No, I, I a hundred percent agree. And I, you know, I think it, it is, you know, just really strong. And of course, you know, then they're put in the red room and, you know, we know already that Natasha's going to escape and Elena is not. And mm-hmm. I, I thought it was really interesting too, because, you know, this movie turns out to be kind of this, this film about like free will. And it had a lot to say about kind of taking away people's free will and making them live almost as drones for the the cause, right? You know, like this, you know, the, the, the villain here really feels very much, uh, Dreykov kind of feels very much like almost like a big brother type of character. And you're just turning people into these drones, uh, to do your will and, and for your cause, it's only decided by a very small group and or one man, you know, and it's really the mm-hmm. the kind of like this danger of this kind of control. And I, I thought that was an interesting thing. I, and I will say that I really wish that they had spent more time grounded in this film, kind of discussing some of these really big issues, again, hearkening back to what captain america winter soldier did which was really it it discussed this idea of um like state interventionism you know and like um Mm -hmm. mapping people pre-planning you know and going after threats before they even exist you know against with the idea of freedom and free will of people to choose you know and what we do with our that type of power like this movie has a lot of those questions but i feel like it never really wants to deal with them head on. Like it just kind of Mm -hmm. like they're there and then they're gone. 100%. I think that that could have been the biggest driver of this entire thing, because that's also where you start with Natasha's story. You know, I mean, she is brainwashed from a child to be taught to live this way of life and be, doing whatever she's told and not have a choice. Um, now, you know, they change it a little bit with the new characters that are widows by having it, um, you know, their actual brains are being messed with. Mm-hmm. Whereas Natasha didn't have that invasive of a brainwashing right. done on her, but they are basically saying the same thing just done in different ways. Yes. Um, yeah. And so I do think that they should have delved into that more and about how, that's the worst kind of way to manipulate a person is this brainwashing or, you know, a brain tampering to where they're aware that yes. something of something they're doing, but they're not able to stop it. Yeah. I mean, in many ways, you're, you're kind of taking away all the humanity, which the, the mm-hmm. whole movie is, is about this idea that, that free will equals kind of what it means to be human, to get to choose your 
what you yeah. do, you know, to, to choose um, how how you act and, and what causes you support and, you know, what you uh, decide to believe in and everything. And all that's being taken away from these girls. And, you know, I, I think another part of that is really interesting, too, is because we kind of really have this danger of science and uh, uh, and there is that aspect and they they let you know later on that you know their mother uh melina she really hasn't had a choice in this you know because she was also a widow you know mm-hmm. she's also somebody who's been conditioned and the free will taken away and so she doesn't she, she doesn't have the ability to think about the implications of the science uh you know and right she's just excited yeah. about the advancement right. she's making right and not seeing how it's being used until Yelena tells her it was used on me. Right. And, and, and I, which was very, I don't feel like it was clear enough in the film because, you know, when, when she first gets to the red room, you know, she looks in that room, the girls, she nods at them. Um, you know, we get this, this feeling like, you know, she, hasn't really been thinking about the implications of her science um, or has it been the whole time that she's just been waiting for her opportunity to finally find a way to take him down since she knows she can't act against him specifically because she like everything's mm-hmm. it was a, it's a little muddy to me. It's it, it wasn't as clear because again, it's like they want to have it both ways. Melina is not a bad character. We're supposed to actually feel for her. And yet I don't feel like it's clear enough as to what she can and cannot do because mm-hmm. of the, her conditioning. And therefore I'm left like not knowing, honestly, the more I've thought about the film, what to think about her as a character and like why she's been a part of this so long, or if she knows what's happening, like why she hasn't tried to sabotage it in some way, or if she's the only scientist who's able to do this, you know, has she ever thought about like ending her own life to make sure that doesn't continue? Like, I don't, there's so Mm -hmm. much about this that I'm just, these are all the type of questions that I'm thinking. And it's like, if I'm asking (laughs) this many questions, I feel like that's not a great thing. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that they kind of play it where either she's been waiting for a very long time to finally use it against him and shut down the widow program or that she is the character that believes that mouse in a wheel story Mm -hmm. that she told Natasha where she wants out, but feels like this is all she's ever known and she probably wouldn't be successful anyway. So so why try? So they needed to pick one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I think you just nailed it. Um, I think a hundred percent. You just, I mean, that, that's, that is it. They like, needed does she to have find, the master yeah. plan or no? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. well, and I mean, you know, the, the same thing with, you know, their dad, uh, dad in quotes, Alexi, where, you know, there, you've got this character who doesn't really kind of question what he follows or what he believes, you know, he's just kind of like this brute for power, you know? Like he mm-hmm. and 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 selfishness really like he just wants to be the best you know and he seems to kind of love you know the party 
the Communist Party there in Russia. He kind of seems to love um, what being the top dog, the Red Guardian, you know, uh, who mm-hmm. believed himself to basically be the counterpart to Captain America. Uh, and and yet, and this is an I liked, I liked David Harbour, but I didn't mm-hmm. necessarily like the character because again, I feel like we're so in the middle with this character of like not truly understanding what this character's motivations are that I'm just left feeling, I don't know, because I don't know yeah. what to feel about the character. Like it, it so it, it's frustrating. Yeah, I, I think that the weakness here was definitely the mom and the dad, you know, quote unquote, that they they didn't pick a particular background direction to go with and stick with. Um, and so you get him feeling in the beginning like a real father figure and even still throughout the movie trying to assert that they're a family and that he made them who they are. Um, but then that he's proud that he made them into the best killers in the world and you're like well that kind of seems counterintuitive to being dad of the year right (laughs) but is like that his thing are we supposed to like love to hate him because he thinks he's the best dad because of that i i don't know Um, well yeah. yeah and he kind of has that kind of like bumbling dad thing going on you know, and yeah. I think that's another problem that I have because I hate that character. I'm so tired of dads just being stupid in films and or TV shows. And I think it, yeah, I, I'll just say, you know, look, I, I thought David Harbour was great in the role. I thought he played it really yeah. well. I think he's, you know, likable when he's on screen. And, and, and I love, I did kind of like where you bring the character in the end, but I think it's just so nebulous as to where he's coming from so that when you get to the end, like, was he a cold stone killer bad guy type of thing and he's become more soft-hearted or was he always just kind of this, like, wishy-washy, I just kind of want to be famous and, I like, I, the arc for him is just not as clear as I like it would like it to be the same way I I feel like the Molina arc, it's just not as clear cut and well defined as I would like it to be. Yes, exactly. And and I just wanted to say that I didn't think it helped either that they specifically added scenes of comparing him to the pig and then also yeah. joking about him being too fat for the suit. Yeah, because I it mean, if he's a super help. soldier... I I mean, you know, Captain America can't get fat. He's a super soldier. Like, his body is, like, not, it's not a, uh, you you know, we only see Steve when he's, like, super, super old and, like, you know, hit finally after 150 years, almost 200 years, like, his body has started to, you know, like, there's only so much the body can do, even with the super soldier server. Like, how in the world is he, like, I that's what I didn't understand too. It didn't seem to really make sense that he, that would happen to him in the first place. Yeah. But I, I agree that I think David Harbor was great. Mm-hmm. I think that it, it was just a poorly written arc. Yeah. You know, um, I, another thing that was really interesting in this movie is that there's a lot of gray in the film. Um, and, 
with all the gray matter here, with all of what the characters do, you know, the movie wants to kind of have this ambiguous edge to it, you know, like what, you know, these characters are doing what they have to do to survive and all those kind of things. But I mean, like, Mm -hmm. is it right that Nat's willing to sacrifice a young girl to get away from the red room? You know, they just straight up steal that wonderful family's car and never even think twice about whether it's the right thing to do or they could find some other mode of transportation. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I just, you know, this all is trying to, to get at the fact that Nat's facing her past and deep dive into that. It, but it never really wants to dig into its biggest question, which seems to be morality. Like, Mm -hmm. because we're going to say what, you know, uh, Dreykov is doing to these girls, obviously, is terrible and awful and bad, right? It's, it's, It's horrible. Yeah. But there's all this ambiguity on the other side with these characters, and... They never truly deal with that. And I, it really bothered me that the film is just so gray. And in, in a film like this, I feel like the story would have been more interesting, especially where Nat's about to go, that she's moving from a gray side to being somebody who can more see the right and the wrong of things, the morality mm-hmm. of things, you know, Yes, she's really sorry about what she did with Antonia, right? But, I mean, I never got the feeling like she was sorry enough that she would never have done it again. Right. Yeah, they they keep it a little too much, too wishy-washy with Natasha on that in particular. Um, and even about the entire thing, like you're saying, you know, if, if it's the Black Widow movie... And leading up to this movie, the entire point was her trying to come to grips with the red in her ledger from her past and how she's going to, A, deal with that, and then B, move forward and become a better person. Now in the Black Widow movie, she's still not doing that. <laughs> it it seems counterintuitive. You know, you want to know that she's had some kind of revelation and either figured out how she's going to deal with it or decided that, you know, if she could go back, she wouldn't have done it again. Um, I do like that. They at least have her eventually apologize to Antonia. Yes. But it, you're right. I mean, initially when they show the flashback of the day that she blew up the building, she seems like she just kind of goes on about her day. <laughs> the thing that really struck me was the fact that, you know, we do have this character who, especially in Civil War uh, and and Winter Soldier, uh, Winter Soldier, you know, she is much more ambiguous, right? But hanging out with Steve seems to have really kind of changed her. And by the time Mm -hmm. you get to Civil War, she's picked a side, right? She's picked kind of a morality she's going with, and it's Cap. And here, after that, it's like she's kind of slid back into, like, Obviously, she's trying to survive. I get that. You know, she's... But that I never really feel like 
we bring because we literally bring her face to face with the person that she almost killed right that she thought she killed and yet there's still something that i just feel like with a lot of the other actions that we see her do here in this film it's it it's like the ends justify the means, you know, like I have it. Yeah. We have a need to go stop this big bad guy. Oh, you know what? This family, they've got this nice BMW. We're going to steal that. That's OK. Mm-hmm. Like the I get you want to go steal the big bad guy. But like if we're trying to turn over another leaf, maybe stealing this nice family who you've just been watching and kind of both thinking, you know, you have both of the characters thinking, man, I wish we'd kind of grown up in a family like that and not this crappy ass family that we grew up in that wasn't even really a family. Like, mm-hmm. it's just so incongruous. And it the yeah. more I've thought about it, the more it's really kind of bothered me, frustrated me and actually kind of makes me a little bit angry. Yeah. Well, I mean, and they even bring it up in the dialogue. Natasha says to her sister, maybe we shouldn't have stolen the car. And then she says, well, what do you want me to do? Go back and unsteal it. And it's like, it, yeah, there was no point in having that there. If you're mm-hmm. trying to put this in the timeline where it was, you're right. I mean, she would have been a better person by now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, this is the problem with doing the movie out of sequence is that I don't feel like the writers. And I hate to say that, but it's like you really needed to have gone through and like, you need to have watched, you know, and I hope they did. I'm sure they did. But, you know, you wanted to watch Iron Man too. You want to watch every mm-hmm. time that Nat shows up so that you're really, truly understanding, okay, where is this character and where is she going? And what's the thing that helps bridge those two things? Mm-hmm. This isn't, you should have been able to do this better, right? Because you've got everything, right? So you should be able to yeah. figure out how this slides in pretty simply. And yet they didn't. It's weird. Yeah. So, um, obviously, one of the big things in here is this movie does kind of deal with the idea of young girls who are being sold into slavery and turned into these drone widows. Mm-hmm. And I like that this movie kind of touches on that. Uh, I think it, it is a massive problem in our world. You know, young children specifically, not just girls, but young children being sold into slavery. Um, you know, sex slavery is is still a very real thing uh, here on, uh, in the United States and around the world. It's terrible. It's, you know. In uh, this, again, I feel like the movie, even though it's a whole movie about the Black Widow and the Black Widow program, we don't really deal with it very well. Like, no. And it, it's like, how, like, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road with this film. This were, this is where you did need it to be a more hard edge spy thriller, espionage type of movie. Very grounded. Because these are the gritty themes that we're dealing with. And it seems like all of the themes kind of get lost in... I, I've got to say it, action that makes Fast and the Furious look grounded. <laughs> what, with the, the crashing of the I, just space station? So much of, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, we'll talk yeah. about the action later, but y- yeah. yeah, you get where um, I'm going with it. 
Yeah. And I, I do think definitely aside from the morality question that it would have been nice for them to show some way that they are leading the way in trying to save more of these girls. Um, it did help that they at least bring in that they've got this serum and they can take out the mind wiping that's happening. But what about the ones that are being newly introduced into the program that are still mm-hmm. young? Because, you know, he's got more. Um, right. I'd like at least that they do have Natasha get all the data and give it to Yelena. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you do get this feeling of he shows the map of how many thousands right. if not millions of girls that he's got already under his control. Yep. It does feel like that's the elephant in the room that mm-hmm. needs to be fixed first. Um, and then just side note, I thought it was a little in poor taste, the joke they made about what are you on your period? And then the talking about the sterilization of the widows. Yeah, I, I agree. You just could have handled that differently. Uh, yeah. Uh, which is interesting. You know, it's a female director, so you wouldn't think you would be kind of making those kind of jokes. Um, just, it is very strange. Like, uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, I think you're right. Um, I, so obviously the biggest character that we introduce here is Florence Pugh as Yelena. And of all the things in the movie, I liked her the most. Uh, I thought she was funny. I thought she was goofy. Uh, I thought it was very interesting that she kind of had the exact same personality as Clint Barton. Hmm. She makes the same type of jokes. She has the same type of humor. So it was very funny because Scarlett Johansson's Tasha is is paired with a character. She spent a lot, same type of character she spent a lot of time with. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I think they've picked a really great actress to come in and be a part of the Avengers from now on. Like, I think she's magnetic and fun and an enjoyable character. Uh, and, and, and very different from, you know, Natasha's black widow in the sense that she is lighter, even though she's had all these things happen to her. She is a much lighter character. Like she doesn't seem to be as bothered by all the things that she's done or whatever, which is interesting. But, you know, she's not just a carbon copy of, of her quote-unquote sister. So, you know, Florence Pugh, to me, was the real highlight of the film. Yeah, I think that she, more than anyone, shows the the human side of the character. I like that um, they don't just show her come out of the brainwashing and then try to figure out what to do. She really seems to pick a morality and has forgiven herself for her past and decided that her mission now in life is to improve the lives of all the other girls that are still under the control of Drakov. Um, so I like that. And, and I like, like I said, they showed that, that human side of her with, she really did feel like their family was real when she was little. Um, and that, you know, N- Natasha seemed to have moved on from it and accepted it. Whereas, um, Yelena never did, you know, um, she still definitely, I like that scene of her and David Harbour in the bedroom where she's like, 
you were my father to me. You were everything to me. And you just dismiss it like that was the most boring period of my life. <laughs> you know, I, I thought that was a really powerful moment. And it, it, like you said, like she was a really great actress in the way that she played that scene, especially. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I thought she was great. You know, I, I do think it was interesting. I don't necessarily understand why you chose Ray Winstone to play Drakoff since he's British and why you wouldn't mm-hmm. have chosen somebody who's more Russian, you know, actually Russian mm-hmm. to kind of play this role. He was fine, um, but I do feel like, I don't know, uh, most Marvel villains are, are one note for me and he was very one note. Yeah, I, I think they could have played him a little more um complex in some way. I mean they 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 show you what he's doing, but they don't really tell you why. I guess is what bothered me about him. Did you feel the same way? Well, I mean like had he had been a part of Hydra, like what right. you know, yeah. or any of those What's kind of things like he was he the Russian part of Hydra, you know, like where is this character coming from? What's his deal? No, I I 100% What's his agree. ultimate goal? Yeah. Does he just feel like, you know, is it just that he feels like all people are disposable or mm-hmm. is there a an end goal? Yeah, I, I think that's a really great question. You know, we don't really know anything about him other than he runs the Red Room for the Russians. And OK, interesting. So but tell me more, you know, like yeah. give me a little <laughs> bit more to go on so that I'm more I mean, obviously, it's terrible what he's done, and like you, you get, you know, you kind of hate him for what he's doing to these girls and everything, um, which is good. But I, I, I just I want something more interesting at this point. So yeah, um, and I think this kind of the same thing with um, Ot Fabini, you know, playing Rick, you know, the character who's just kind of helping Natasha the whole time, like. Okay, so he's this guy who is basically kind of, you know, has the hots for Natasha. Like, okay, great. Who doesn't? But, uh, I, I mean, there's, there's nothing to the character. Uh, there was nothing. I don't know. It, it was just one of those places where I was like, okay, this is kind of a wasted character, and and it would have been more interesting to try and maybe bring somebody back that we knew something about you know than kind of creating a new character all the way i don't know what did you think yeah um i thought that he was unnecessary because he really just kind of filled a need of bringing natasha whatever equipment she's in need of at the time yeah you know he's like oh look i'm here with a trailer for you in the middle of norway or oh you need a helicopter got it or look i went and got you the big bad the plane from Drakov's space station. And she's like, wow, I'm impressed. And then that's it. It like really mm-hmm. a, that's just bad storytelling because there's like, he's a magical genie. Yeah. There's no reason for him other than he provides equipment out of nowhere. Um, and then B, like you said, like it, it then why introduce a brand new character if they're also not going to take it anywhere in relation to Natasha, like, are right, they in a relationship? Dead. Are they just friends? Right. Was he from before? Uh, you know, like, I don't know. 
I think that you made a really good point. Like, there's nowhere for him to go relationally with Natasha because she's dead. So it's not like we're ever going (laughs) to see her again. And so, I mean, will he come into play then later on with Elena? Maybe. Or how even did they meet in the first place? Yeah, I don't know. It again, it just like we need this character who's going to be able to help her do stuff and get stuff. And so we're also going to have him have a crush on her because, I mean, you know, because it's Scarlett Johansson. And of course, everybody has a crush on her, which, of course, that's the truth. But um, (laughs) I I, again, I I felt like it, it just seemed very much like a wasted type of character. And and like, yeah, it it was plot convenience like we have to have this character otherwise how do we explain how she's getting stuff or you know getting what she needs or yeah yeah and then no, I, I kind of gotta say I, you know I really like uh, Olga Kurienko. Um I, I like her a lot uh, mainly because you know she was in Quantum of Solace and so huge fan of hers um, but I, I was disappointed that, you know, we don't really get more of her as the taskmaster character. Like, and part of that is because they hide the reveal for so long of that, you know, it's a woman and who the character is, but you know, like, it's kind of sad. I, and I'm sure, I guess she'll come back and probably do things later on, uh, is, is what I'm thinking, but you know, and, and I hope so for her case so that she gets to. To, to be with the character more and, and give the character more life. But like you've cast this, you know, pretty decently great actress, you know, and like, then she gets nothing to do. She gets no lines. Yeah. For one thing, like thinking about it now, I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. She never speaks. That's so sad. Um, But the, and the other thing that I thought was weird was that apparently in the comics that character taskmaster is a male character and he's born with the superpower of being able to duplicate fighting moves that he sees. Um, So I thought it was interesting that they decided to make it um, a woman in the movie and then also to make it Antonia and not a completely different character um, of Tony. Um, because in the in the comics it's Tony Masters, so and then you know I my only thought was maybe they did that because they felt like Natasha killing a child was too cruel. Maybe they felt like that was a easy way to kind of fix that problem and make it not quite as bad. That look, she actually survived. It's okay. Um, but I I think that it's like we were both saying it's sad that she doesn't get any lines that she doesn't really serve a purpose other than being like Dracov's dog. And I mean, that's not really very kind to your daughter if you really love her that much. Um, And, and it's a suit that has the power rather than Antonia herself. So I I just wish she had had more to do as well. Yep. I agree. Um, so we're let's talk about the post credit sequence because obviously you know this is a big part of Marvel movies and you know we mm-hmm. kind of alluded to it earlier but Elena has apparently been working for Contessa Valentina Allegra de la Fontaine so uh, which is a character I'm not really a huge fan of um, I find her absolutely 100 mm-hmm. percent obnoxious and annoying and 
you know, we, we get this, that her next mission is to kill Clint Barton. Um, so we get no idea of what Elena's been doing. Did she get snapped, you know, or, you know, like any of that stuff. We just kind of jump forward in time. Actually, of course, this movie was supposed to come out before Falcon and Winter Soldier. So this was actually supposed to be our first introduction to the Contessa. And then mm. we would have seen her in, in Falcon Winter Soldier. So this would have been her very first introduction. But I I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the idea of a secret Avengers, you know, that they're putting together. I, I don't know a ton about it. But all of this, to me, you know, the Infinity Saga was about the Infinity Stones, you know. We're putting together this this whole thing about where it's all going to end up with, which is, you know, Infinity War and Endgame. So far, like, I don't know if we're doing Secret Wars or something uh, with Marvel. I don't I have no idea what storyline they're going for, but it's not, I would say, exciting in all mm-hmm. to me because I feel like it's so inside baseball. Like, you really need to be a Marvel fan. I, I feel like, and this is where my ignorance of, I... I know the MCU. I don't know the comics, so I'm I'm not really sure where they're going with all this. Like, you know, I I don't under I, the Infinity Stone one was easy. It's the Infinity mm-hmm. Gauntlet. You know, like even even I knew that. This is all stuff. I'm like, I, why am I why am I supposed to be excited? You know, right? Yeah, that's definitely the thing that I see with it too. Is like you have to really know everything from the comics as well as from the MCU films to understand where they could be going with it. That the casual fan can't just come into that and know what's going on or what might come next and really feel excited about it. And that's kind of a bummer because you want your stuff to be accessible (laughs) to the average fan. That's what sells tickets. Um, So, yeah, that kind of surprised me. But I, I don't know. It's like I'm interested because I think Yelena is a cool character. Um, I'm kind of with you on the Contessa. She's kind of, I could take it or leave it. Um, but I can see how it, like this might tie into her working with, oh God, what was his name? From. Oh, you mean Wyatt? Yes. Yeah. So obviously because of the Contessa being there, there's going to be some kind of tie between her working oh, with yeah. Wyatt and yeah. now her working with Yelena. But other than that, you know, we don't we don't know what's going to happen other than, you know, the next thing to come out is going to mm-hmm. be Hawkeye. Um, but like I was saying earlier, too, I think that I think the reveal for Hawkeye being next needed to be a more positive one about, you know, it's taking place after he has dealt with, um, you know, Natasha sacrificing herself for the soul stone instead of him and him feeling that guilt about it and stuff. But okay, what's he Mm going to do with that? Um, rather than, I I think that it's kind of a negative thing coming into it with someone after him to kill him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It is. It didn't get me excited. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it's really interesting because we are, we're digging into things throughout the shows too, you mm-hmm. know, because WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier and, and Loki. And a part of me wonders if 
they're just trying to do too much. Right, um, like tie everything together when you could just keep the shows the shows and the movies the movies. Yeah, some of that. Or if it's just, you know, I don't know. But I guess it'll be interesting to see is um, we're uh, recording this next week. We'll be actually talking about Loki. So as that's ended, how we feel about that. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I, I just... I think the thing that I'm left with personally right now, and this is just, I think would, what would say a majority of people, you know, because the, the, the minority of would be the people who know all the comics and kind of know where they could be going with this. I would say mm-hmm. I'm probably in the majority of, of people, which is just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be excited about in Marvel. Really? A lot of stuff is getting thrown at me, but I don't know what I'm supposed to be excited about. And with what I see coming up in phase four, honestly, they've given me no reason I would say to be excited about anything coming up because I don't know who any of these characters are. None of them have name brand status, right? Like our next Mm -hmm. couple films are, you know, Shang-Chi and then the Eternals. I don't know who any of those people are. So it's, it's, uh, it is frustrating because, you know, the first phase had the benefit of using all of their, big names except for like say iron man who you know iron man was actually more of a c-level character that they made an a-level character whereas mm-hmm. you know then you had captain america and hulk and you know that kind of stuff you you had your your big guys so i don't know um anyway i'm i'm really interested to see what you thought because we kind of alluded to this earlier as well what did you think of the action in this movie for me really the action was the coolest part <laughs> aside from the uh the couple things i mentioned earlier with like you know i thought that the the bedroom scene between father and daughter was a strong moment um a couple of really good character moments um that could have been written better were good but um i enjoyed the action i i thought that it was hilarious that they had yelena make fun of natasha for her jump down and pose um and i like the the back and forth between the sisters um, and them fighting together and, you know, driving around different areas where, you know, either, either it's a motorcycle or a car or whatever, aside from stealing the car. Um, I enjoyed a lot of it. I think that it got a little too out of hand with like, we were talking about the uh, international space station that Drakov had up in the sky. I'm like, really? That's what they do is like, well, you could never find him because he's up instead of down. Um <laughs> That was a little silly. Mm-hmm. But I mean, otherwise, in general, I thought that the action was really um, riveting for me. Uh, so it's interesting because I'd, I'd honestly say that I believe that the action and I mentioned earlier, I feel like it was really over the top. And mm-hmm. there were so many times and, and and over the top. And like I said, making Fast and the Furious look legitimate. Uh, but I mean, there's no way that they would have survived that car wreck that fell into the subway station. There's okay, yeah. literally no way anybody could survive that. Neither of them are but superpowered, the- right? Like, true. So you know, when you put these type of characters in that situation, or when Natasha hits every single thing she possibly can, falling and somehow lands on her feet and then runs, like. She's not a superhuman. 
Mm-hmm. I, I was just, I was stretched to the credulity of this being possible for a human being to go through and not being dead. So I was, uh, and then I, I felt like, yes, we ended up with this way over the top action sequence at the very end. And I really think this movie, it needed a more grounded ending. It, and it, didn't mm. feel like it really earned having that much over the topness with two un superhuman humans. Yeah. Um I I think this movie gets lost in trying to have spectacle that's not all that interesting because these are all kind of things we've seen in Marvel before. Like mm. I've already seen of an ending like this and it was in Captain America Winter Soldier when the helicarrier crashes into the shield building and that mm-hmm. meant something because thematically cap is bringing down the thing that he thought he believed in right like yeah this is should mean something when we bring down the red room but it doesn't yeah. really feel like it means anything it just get it's so big and explosive and over the top and ridiculous um that it, well, it feels like there's no reason for it to be up where it is. Right. It. I mean, it's like, okay, how did he get the technology? Yeah. Really? There's Before other, it was like, oh, it's yes, just always moving. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And there's other ways to stay off the grid than this, right? And I would yes. say, too, it honestly doesn't help that a few years ago, Red Sparrow came out with Jennifer Lawrence. That's basically, it was a book series, um, and it's a good book series. I read it. But it, it, she's basically a Black Widow. This, oh. this is, that's what she is, and it was much more grounded, much more realistic, and in in the end, was much better done, I think, than this. And that's what this movie needed to be was much. I I feel like this movie just needed grit, and and it needed to really be more of a hard PG thirteen than a really kind of light PG thirteen that it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially the with the subject matter. But the avalanche. That part was pretty cool. See, that was something that they did <laughs> that was new, right? Yeah. Like, that was an action sequence that was more new. Although, I got to say, the effects in that scene weren't great. No, so that's true. that's the other part of this, is that I feel like the effects really let down the action sequences. They just weren't mm-hmm. very good. And they then they were so over the top that you just kind of didn't really care. And you know nobody's going to yeah. die, so... It it just kind of becomes this loud thing, and and I think something I really wanted from the movie too, um, for the second week in a row, um, we had Lauren Balf doing the music, and I I think he's good and he can be good. I didn't love his score here. It felt kind of like Hunt for October and Man of Steel had a baby, and that was the music we got. And yet it didn't have any of the heart and or like thematic elements that either of those films had. So, and there's some small pieces of music that are good, you know, when it's more quiet. But I I kind of wanted there to be a cool like Black Widow theme. And I don't feel like there was really anything, especially something that would tie then Natasha to Elena as we move forward. And yeah. they really didn't, we didn't get that. Well, you know, it's the whistle. That's it. <laughs> yeah. 
I guess that, so. That was the only Black Widow theme we got. Um, and then they repeated it in the stinger. Yeah, you read my mind. That was the biggest thing that I was missing. Because you have such a strong one, for example, with Cap. Mm-hmm. That I'm like, why couldn't we just have something like that for every character that's mm-hmm. really recognizable and then use it? Um, yeah, I felt like it was just bleh. Yeah. Music-wise. Mostly that's a uh, Marvel problem, too. I mean, uh, yeah. it... Uh, Marvel has not been great in its soundtracks for the most part. There's a few here, far, you know, in between. You know, some of them mm-hmm. are, have been good. You know, obviously you have, like, the Avengers theme that Sylvester created, and that's pretty recognizable, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't really get a Iron Man theme uh, musically mm-hmm. until the third Iron Man. Uh, but, yeah, it's just... I, Guys, comic book characters need thematic music. Yeah. And stop disregarding that. Um, Yeah. And yeah, disappointed. So, well, okay. We've talked a lot, a lot, a lot. And so I am (laughs) very interested because I feel like there have been some things we liked. There's been some things we haven't liked. And I'm, and you know, I hope anybody listening is like, look, this is just our honest opinion about a film. Um, And so... You know, if you don't agree with us, that's okay. You know, we're not saying we're right. We're just saying where we're coming from as we're watching the f- the movie. So where did you come down, Christy, with Black Widow? So uh, the biggest thing that I come away with for this movie is um, two things. I wish it had been made sooner. I think we were both on the same page with that. Um, and I, I wish that Natasha had had more of a definitive moral code Mm -hmm. that they had in this movie um i think that for it finally being natasha's turn to have her story told that i wanted more and um and that's a bummer because we finally got a black widow movie and then i'm like oh so um there were some things that i did really enjoy about it but i just wanted more of um and i just wanted some other things to be written better so i think ultimately um I'm kind of in the middle. So I give it a two and a half out of five um, white cat suits because I did think that was really cool costuming. And now I want to do that costume. Um, but I, I like black widow as a character and I wanted this movie to be epic because I like her and yeah. It's interesting you say that because I remember you saying the same thing when we did Captain Marvel. You like Captain Marvel, yeah. and you wanted the movie to be good. And it just yeah. wasn't very good. Yeah. And I think you're 100% right. I, I think that Marvel has really let down its two female heroes with mediocre movies. And yeah. um, that's disappointing. It shouldn't be that way. Um, and mainly because I feel like the female characters have kind of been an afterthought in some ways to mm-hmm. many of these films, you know, and, and just the, the, I hate to say, it, but the, the MCU is in, in general. I mean, like we'll say what you want about the DC movies and you can love them or hate them, but you know, Wonder Woman was a pretty important part of that series, you know, and still is right. So mm-hmm. she is the third main character. <laughs> like, she is just as important as Superman and Batman. Um, without her, you don't have uh, the DC Holy Trinity, and and you just haven't seen that 
treatment of the characters for females being really, really important. And I don't know. I mean, obviously, we've had mediocre movies about men and Marvel, but it kind of stinks that both of the films for females have been mediocre. And it's interesting because I end up at the same place you did. In fact, my rating for this film went down as we talked about it. Uh, I had put it at three, but I think you're absolutely right in that this movie is actually only two and a half. Uh, I think this Mm -hmm. movie is like half a good movie. And And it's not to say it's like horrible. No, no. I mean, I've seen worse Marvel movies um, alone, but it's, it's just not great. And that's disappointing. And and yeah, I mean, legitimately, it falls in my lower rankings of, of the Marvel movies. You know, out of 26 movies, it's probably number 17. So that's not great. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm really, I'm really sad because, let me put it this way. When she first got introduced as a character, I... I've been asking for a black... Personally, I've been asking for a black movie. I'm one of those fans who wanted to see her story. I wanted to see her in her own film. I thought she was an interesting character. And I've wanted this movie since she got introduced in in Iron Man 2. Mm -hmm. Um, And then especially after we got her in Avengers. Yes, definitely wanted a Black Widow movie. This is not the Black Widow movie I wanted. So... um, and yeah, yeah, I didn't get what I wanted and that's part of being a fan. Um and it just didn't work for me what they did. So, but I'll be interested to see, you know, what others think. But Christy, uh it's now that time of the show where we give recommendations for what we think people should check out this week. Yeah, so I actually decided to go back into my catalog of um funny things I've been into in my life that people may not know about. Um and I'm going to recommend that people check out a little known show called Wallace and Gromit. Oh, yes. Have you ever seen it? <laughs> Love Wallace and Gromit. I watched that because growing up, my grandparents had a finite number of things on the shelf that they would show us over and over and over again to, you know, give us something to do during the summer. And uh, I've watched so much Wallace and Gromit. And it's just a fun thing. It's, um, if you're not familiar, it's the same kind of claymation as like Sean the Sheep. Um, and it's really kind of cutesy, but it also, to me, it just reminds me of like the good things in life that are yep. simple, but make you happy. Yes. Like, well, it's just loves cheese. Cheese, Gromit, cheese. cheese. <laughs> Everybody knows the <laughs> moon's Gromit. made of cheese. Exactly. And Gromit is the cutest yep. dog without a mouth you've ever seen. So anyway, check out Wallace and Gromit. Ah, it's good stuff. Uh, I'm going to recommend that everybody check out Luca, uh, the new Pixar movie. Mm. I really enjoyed Luca. Um, I thought it was so cute. I had a great time watching it. So, you know, if you're just looking for something really wholesome and enjoyable to watch, I highly recommend Luca. It was a blast. So, um, but Christy, uh, you know, if people want to catch up uh, with you and see what else you've got going on, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bespin Bell. I'm a little bit more active on Instagram, but I'm still there. Um, and you can also find me on Facebook and the Babel Conference. 
And when I'm not here on 602 Club with Matt, I also do a show called Sabres and Spells with my friends Amanda and Teresa. And we talk about some more niche geeky stuff we don't usually get to talk about. So I hope you'll check that out as well. Awesome. Uh, and you can find me all over the place, Matt Rushing 2 there on all the social media platforms, pretty much. Uh, just check uh, out that name, and you'll probably find me there. Uh, of course, you can also find me here on the network, uh, not only doing this show, but look in the same feed for Snyder Cuts with John Mills as we talk about all things Zack Snyder and what he's directed. You can also find me doing Larry Treks in the Orb. Larry checks the books and the comics show here about Star Trek, as well as the orb being about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, you can find me doing two shows. One uh, has finished now, but it's called Outpost with Drea Kaufman, as we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then I'm doing Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills. It's a Star Wars podcast, and of course, every week we are talking about a brand new Star Wars topic. But thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear 